Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. And today, I've got a very special show for you. This is episode 400. This means I've been coming to you every week for 400 weeks. I know it's crazy. So I decided to call one of my old friends, someone you know really, really well probably, and to talk about some of the great trends that are going on in the world of social, and his name is Gary Vaynerchuk. Now, before I get to that interview, I would love to play a little clip for you called Are You Shy? Yes, You Can Be Well Known. Here we go. Do you want to be well known, but you're kind of concerned about putting yourself out there? Are you concerned because you're kind of shy and introverted? In today's video, I'll explain why being introverted actually can be your superpower and it won't stop you from being really, really well known. Check it out. Do you have voices in your head that say, you know, I'm really a lot better behind the scenes. You know, I don't really feel good about speaking up. Ah, let somebody else be the person that everybody looks to. It's just, eh, doesn't float my boat. Doesn't move my truck. Maybe you think you need to be super outgoing like Gary Vaynerchuk. When did you have the ability to judge society? In order to be successful. I don't give a about cool. I'm trying to build businesses out here. The truth is, you see that, uh, that leaf down there? The truth is that this completely beautiful overlooked leaf was not the extrovert. This leaf with lots of color and intricacies and value and worth happened to be one of the introverts. What exactly are these things is what I want to know. Ow. They're spiky balls of death that are horrible for skateboarding. Spiky balls of death? Yes. Yuck. In so many industries, some of the biggest, most well-known individuals happen to be introverts. Let me give you some examples. We've helped our clients grow over 14 billion views. Tim Schmoyer, one of the leading YouTube experts in the world, definitely an introvert. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Online Marketing Made Easy podcast. Amy Porterfield, the host of one of the top marketing podcasts in the world, a total introvert. I'm going to show you six different models that I've used to generate passive income. Pat Flynn, host of Smart Passive Income, another huge podcast and big blog, complete introvert. 
And the list goes on and on and on. Chances are pretty good that the people that you look up to online just so happen to be introverted and shy. And if they can do it, so can you. Let me tell you why. Did you know that almost all the core elements that can make you well-known are well-suited for introverts? Let me explain. First of all, let's talk about video. Need to create some videos? All you gotta do is look into the lens. Look into the lens. There's no audience until the video is actually produced. Therefore, you're really well suited to just talk to the camera. Podcasting, just talk into the microphone. There's no reason for you to worry about an audience being there at all. You're just speaking into the microphone. Writing, it's just you and the keyboard. If you think about all these content mediums that make people famous, the written word, the spoken word, and video, they all can happen with just you and some technology. Short of getting up on a stage and talking to lots of people, nearly all content creation is ideally suited for creation by yourself on your schedule and not in front of a crowd. Perfect for introverts. So mute those little voices inside your head that are telling you you can't do it because you're an introvert and unmute the voice inside your head that can get in front of a camera, in front of a microphone, or in front of a keyboard and begin expressing your thoughts to the world. Who do you know who's introverted who's already doing this? Look to them for inspiration. Get started today. All right, well, there you have it. And by the way, as you can tell, that was me playing a clip from a video. And there's a whole bunch of videos that I've recorded, actually 14 in total. And if you wanna check them all out, you can go to youtube.com slash social media examiner. And then look for the Becoming Well-Known uh, playlist. All right, well, first of all, I am so excited that today's guest is Gary Vaynerchuk. And we're gonna talk about his perspective in 2020 about all of the social platforms and some of the trends that are going on in the industry. And we go into some really, really fascinating deep dives on a million different topics. So I think you're gonna really enjoy it. So stick around. And by the way, if you want to reach me on Instagram, I am at Stelsner, or you can email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And last thing, you're new to this show, hit that subscribe button so you do not miss a future episode. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. 
And now for my interview with Gary Vaynerchuk. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Gary Vaynerchuk. If you don't know who he is, you better get to know this guy. He's the author of Crushing It, the CEO of VaynerMedia, a full-service digital agency, and also the host of the Ask Gary V show. Gary, how are you doing today, man? I'm really good. How are you? Good. Tell everybody where you're at. Sorry for the background noise, everybody. I'm in Indianapolis for the NFL Combine. My brother and I, four years ago, three years ago, started uh, Vayner Sports, which is an NFL representation agency. Oh, cool. Uh, I know this is background noise. I apologize, but I'm in the belly of the beast of the NFL Combine. That is so cool. All right. Well, today, Gary and I are going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff uh, going on in the world of trends, specifically with social media. But Gary, I want to take you back. It was almost exactly 10 years ago when I first had a chance to interview you. And it was for this little online event I was doing called Social Media Success Summit. And it was kind of like an online conference and you were my keynote. And back then you were a really, really big deal. And here it is 10 years later and you're still a really, really big deal. And I want to know, what is it about your strategy? What is it about what you've been doing that has allowed you to survive and thrive when so many of your peers have essentially disappeared? I think ambition of what one wants to accomplish. You know, it's fun to be talking to you. And first of all, I just want to say what's up to everybody who's listening because I know there's a lot of people that um, have been in this space for a long time and a lot of people that are new to it. You know, I think for a lot of us that are listening right now, it was a really fun era back then when it was all new. And, right. you know, I think I was saying it then, I'm saying it now. Professionally, I have very big aspirations and feel like I have skills in entrepreneurship and marketing and consumer behavior. And I, so I think talent and hard work is why I'm here, but also an overlay of ambition. I think there's a lot of people that were fellow headliners, keynoters, a lot of people that had big followings on Twitter back then who honestly, you know, they're, what they want out of their lives has probably evolved. Some people went on to get married and start families. Other people settled into businesses. Other people maybe realized that the grind of entrepreneurship wasn't for them. Other people you know, I think you and I know this, other people were probably full of some hot air and didn't actually have the skills and jumped on it because it was the new thing. So I think there's a a myriad of kind of like different reasons why I still get to be here. I think, you know, it's fun to kind of look back and crush it and think about the things I wrote in 2008 and which came out in 2009 that have become wildly true about opportunities for individual human beings using the internet, using the personal brand. And so I think ultimately a lot of what I was doing for the you know decade prior to being quote unquote a breakout in social media in 2009, 10 probably had a lot to do with that as well. You know, I I had built at that point a, a very large successful family business using search and e-commerce and email when that was the social media of the time. And I think I've shown consistency and effort, and I think that. I, Back then and to this day, I do think I outpace the field and caring about my community and bringing value. And, you know, I think my natural energy and in me is a lot of confidence and bravado. And, but I also think my humility has helped me quite a bit. I, I've, uh, I've struggled then and I struggle today to think that I'm a big deal. I, I'm appreciative of every follow, every interaction, every engagement. Everybody that comes up to me and asks me for a selfie or asks me a question or pitches me their business, all of which has happened literally in the last 30 minutes here at this <laughs> event. So 
you know, I, I'm appreciative to the humility that my parents instilled in me. I think that is actually a secret part of the answer to your question. Do you also think that because you have consistently showed up and created content and engaged with people that that's been a key part of your strategy? A hundred percent. You know, I think back to, uh, 2012, 13, you know, I think you see less content of me in that era, 14. That's when I really, really went head down to build the foundation of VaynerMedia. That's when we went from 20 to 400 people in a blink. And during that time, my quote unquote personal brand did not grow as much. And there was other people that were, you know, growing or taking up some of the space. I was, fortunately, Twitter was such a great, product for me and I was able to stay very consistent on that platform during that time. So I would call that maintenance of my brand during that time. But what also happened was I put another win on the board as an operator and showed that this is not just me pontificating for the sake of pontificating. I went to Madison Avenue and became the most interesting new entrant from organic growth in the advertising landscape. Something that a lot of people didn't think I had in me. Um, and, uh, and something that I'm proud of that we've been able to accomplish. All right. I'm going to ask you a whole litany of questions, but I'm going to start with kind of an unusual question. Uh, old college Please. buddy of mine opened a fortune cookie and he found you inside of it. What, yeah. is, <laughs> what is the strategy? Do you know about this? I mean, is this uh, somebody on your team? Of course team? I know about okay. this. Not only do I know about it, I'm the one who came up with the fortune cookie strategy. Okay. I'm the one who met the kids that own that company at a cocktail event. I'm the one who sat in the meeting and came up with creative ideas for what we put on both sides of that fortune cookie. And I'm the one who's community managing. Everybody's taking photos of it right now. And I'm the one who's going to answer your question right now. Yeah. So I, what's the strategy? Because that was a surprise to me. <laughs> yes. I am not just about digital. I'm about underpriced attention. And I think I've done a lot of creative things on TikTok and Spotify and other things, but here we are answering the question about a fortune cookie because I think it breaks up patterns. I do think I thought that every single person that knows who I am or even doesn't know who I am when they get that fortune cookie with my phone number on it and a quote will take a photo and put it on social. I thought that people open fortune cookies. I believe that people open fortune cookies. So I believe in the distribution and the awareness of it. I just thought it was the right price for the right execution. And I knew that I also was maybe horribly wrong. And so I, uh, I needed to try it. And see what I, and so this is a beta test for me on a hypothesis that fortune cookie marketing might be an underpriced arbitrage. Okay, so uh, w tell me about the phone number on there. Like, what happens if people text you or whatever? Because I, I don't even really so, understand it. Yep. So, yeah, keep going. So, two one two nine three one five seven three one. There's an app called Community that came out about a year ago. I've been beta testing it for about six months. I'd had a phone number played prior to that on Superphone. But I've been pretty locked into promoting this number. I text out, you know, three, four times a week to the masses. I text out birthdays because people put their birthday in when they sign up. I reply to hundreds of texts a week, though I get tens of thousands. So it's, I know there's a lot of disappointed people who've expected me to text back. I'm trying. It's maybe thing on Twitter. I eventually lost replying to everybody. I think text is a very interesting platform to create consumption and engagement much like social, much like email, and I'm playing in that world. And so my fortune cookie to text messaging strategy and execution is back to attention and content and context and community, and I'm in it. 
So let's talk a little bit about, you know, SMS, text messaging, like why have you decided to go into that space and how is that different than what everybody else seems to be focused on with, which is messenger bots and all that other kind of stuff? You know, I like messenger bots and I'm playing with that, but uh, I'm not as much in love with it. I just think there's SMS is an incredibly intimate, hardcore, everybody in America is texting world, which is more than messenger bots, right? There's more people texting every day than they are people in Facebook Messenger. And so SMS is the king here. You know, obviously Telegraph is the king in Brazil and WhatsApp is the global king. And and so, um, you know, I think SMS is a real play in the United States, period. And what do marketers need to pay attention to if they want to get in on SMS? Because it feels a little old school, you know? It feels like we're kind of going back, but maybe, you know, what's the shift that's going on here? I think people are more open to SMS than they've been in the past. So I think SMS marketing in the past was very push email offers. This is more content. I, I treat SMS more like Twitter. You know, I'll, I'll put out a post that I think is bringing them value is not me trying to sell them anything. Back to the book I wrote, Jab, 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 Right Hook. Put out, and you know, something that's on my mind. You know, when it comes across as a text, I think there's an intimacy, at least for now, before marketers ruin it. I think I'm doing a good job of trying to put unique thoughts on there, which may make somebody think it feels intimate. They get it from me. They like that. When they reply, I reply to one to three percent of the people that do that every day. And that's over time, hopefully hit most of the majority. It also is very effective when I throw the right hook. So if I have a new, you know, art, you know, I do an art collection with Iconics. I did that the other day. It's doing extremely well when I have a new case with steel or a wine offer. So it's, it's a jab to jab right hook. I laid it down in 2012 or 13. I remember I put that up 14. So that's how I think about it, you know, and I think marketers need to think about if you make some 50 texts, make 43 of them ridiculously valuable for the people that follow you, which gives you permission to ask seven of those times. And I'm assuming is SMS smart enough to know like what time zone people are in so it doesn't text them yes. in the middle of the night accidentally? I can text at any time. The app is smart. When I start texting it to the whole list at 7 a.m., it pops up and says, hey, it's you know it's 4 a.m. It's not past this recommended time of 8 a.m. across the board. So it's looking for me to text at 11 a.m. because of the West Coast. On the flip side, I can text everybody in just New Jersey if I want to. And so it has a lot of flexibility, almost like an email newsletter. Got it. Um, and uh, community is a very interesting app. I think they have a real chance. Okay, next question. Which social platforms are you not paying attention to these days? You I'm, personally. I'm, I'm, dragging, I'm dragging on Pinterest and Snapchat at this exact moment. Okay. Uh, begrudge, begrudgingly. It's just kind of out of being a human and having flaws. I should be crushing on both. Anywhere anybody is. Those are probably the two I'm weakest on. Everything else, link, you know, and these are social media slash content platforms. That word has become omnipresent with content. So YouTube and LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and uh, TikTok and Instagram and pipe of podcasting in there. So Spotify and Apple, I'm very much very on the attack on those platforms. So let me ask you about Snapchat, because I know you were very bullish on Snapchat, you know, before yes. Instagram pretty much copied yes. them. What's your take on Snapchat for those that are maybe still on the platform or that are ignoring it? Should they be looking at it? Look, I think if you could be to build a community anywhere, I mean, if, if I had 4,000 people actively really paying attention to me on MySpace, I'd probably be up for it. I think the reason I'm mad at myself on Pinterest and Snap is I should be doing it. And it's there for me. And so 
yeah, I think if you have a community there and you've switched over only to Instagram, that's a mistake. I'm posting daily on Snap. It's just I'm not giving it my full own, but my team is helping me manage that. And that's always not as good as if I'm just doing it. And so, yeah, I think these things ebb and flow on attention. And uh, I don't think it is dead. You know, Peach is dead. Snapchat is dented or doesn't have as much attention as it did. However, if you really go hard, I would argue that it's an opportunity, right? It's no different than buying up real estate in Detroit and then Detroit turns. Like, you know, I would argue that Snap is one feature away, no different than Instagram copying the story feature became a great play. I would argue that if tomorrow Snap has some feature update, it could be right back in the conversation. I think we've seen the ebb and flow of the Facebooks, the Twitters, you know, I think, look, I, I honestly think Instagram is in the pre-dawn of having its challenges of being the establishment and then being disrupted. And I think a lot of TikTok's growth has come from Snap's, you know, dominance, excuse me, Instagram's dominance. And so every platform ebbs and flows at some level. I think there's a lot of fruitful opportunity on Snapchat. Well, I want to talk about TikTok before I want to, I want to dig in on what you just said about Instagram. So you said it's in its pre it's just about to become like the big boy that everybody wants to ignore or whatever, however you said that. Talk to me a little bit about why you see that. What do you see specifically with Instagram from your perspective? I think what I've done real well in the last 20 years of my career is just having a temperature for the human. And I just anecdotally out in a bar hearing people delete the app when it's too much or mm. it gives me FOMO, it's negative. You can just sense it. You know, this is what a strategist and anthropologist does. And I would argue that that's what I am. Got it. You know, I just, can, I can sense that we are on the other side of its apex moment, which I felt was maybe 12 months ago, where it was just like, you know, everybody, you know, you had an enormous population of 20, 30 year olds only focus on Instagram. You could just kind of sense that it's where Facebook was five years ago, you know? Do you sense that both Facebook and Instagram are kind of, they've potentially gone past the peak and they're starting to like, I'm talking about the organic side of it, less the ad side of it, but do you feel like they're maybe starting to like, they've gotten about as big as they can get. And at this point they're kind of heading down the other side and they're ripe for some pretty substantial ongoing disruption. Yes. Uh, you know, I think what Facebook Inc has done incredibly well is adjust. You look at Facebook, they're so heavy into groups. They've become the internet's, Message boards, right? Right. I mean, I, I, Zucks is a beast, an underrated operational beast. You could not like the way he communicates. You might think, you might think a million different things, but let there be no confusion as a product and CEO of an evolution of the consumer behavior. I think he's done a remarkable all time job. And Facebook has shown that its ability to adjust more than Yahoo, maybe even more than Google, but probably not, but more than Yahoo for sure. And MySpace and others before it puts them on a pencil on that you know, a pedestal that really matters. And so Facebook's got more groups. It's organic reach on pages is, is really been dented, but still significant for some uh, who I think understand the platform and really understand 40 to 90 year olds for me, for example. I would argue that uh, Instagram is now starting to reach its, you know, white heat moment, getting to the other side for 20, 30, 40 year olds. And, and I think it's organic reach is great for me because I think I'm doing a really good job. I think if I really focused on what 40 to 90 year olds cared about and produced original content for them on Facebook, I would be doing quite well. So I think it's up to us to adjust the attention graph of the platforms 
to be able to win the organic game. And as far as the ad game, it's very hard for me to find better ad inventory than Facebook and Instagram right now from 20 to 80 year olds across America and the world for that matter. So I think they're in a really good spot for them. All right, let's talk about TikTok. First, I want to know when did you first start using TikTok? What did you think about it at first? And now what do you think about it? I first started using TikTok when it was musically, probably four and a half, five years ago. I thought it had the potential to become a Snapchat, to become an Instagram. Like, 12, like nine to 12 year old girls are on it at scale. Let me watch this. Let me get on this. I mean, I had two of the Musical.ly stars on the Ask Gary V show four years ago, maybe five. D-Rock's filming me right now, so he's going to look this up. I'll confirm it. So I was really on it. Then it kind of got bought, kind of disappeared for a few minutes, got repackaged into the TikTok environment, and then started getting hot, you know, a year and a half, two years ago. I got re-engaged, re-watched it four years ago on the on the uh, Musical.ly. What month, D-Rock? So a year, April 2016. So April 2016, I had two musically celebrities on, which means for a year prior to that, I was really paying attention to it. So a good five years of that ago, tried to invest in it. Could have, I don't remember what my decision was. I was kind of starting to check out of investing. Didn't. Then I got bought, which made me probably sad that I didn't fully invest. Uh, <laughs> then it resurfaced 18 months ago. And I said, okay, here we go again. And Clearly, it's working, and I got more serious about it, and yeah, have been uh, paying attention to it. I've amassed three point one or two million fans on that platform. Have been very serious about content creation. Three point three, give Have been very serious about that platform, and watch the influencers, watch the behaviors, watch the trends, watch the virality. Put out content three to five times a day. How and many times did you say a day are you putting content out on TikTok? About four or five. Three, four, five. With that, as some people probably know, after seven and a half years of putting out my own concept every day, I've hired my first employee. And then, you know, now Team Gary, as I call it, inside of VaynerMedia, you know, we have 20 employees. We probably need seven, but I train them for VaynerMedia on it. And so it's post-production creative for, you know, 80% of my content is my team looking at all my other content that we film all day and then post-producing it for TikTok. Uh, but then they'll run into my office in between a meeting and say, the pie challenge is happening. Let's make something. Or the marble challenge. Or here's a TikToker that's in the office. Let's collab. So I'll do some original content that way. And Can you pause for a second and explain what that yeah. stuff means for people that don't know what those challenges mean? On TikTok, you see a lot of memes, a lot of challenges. And so really just trends. Let's call it trends. And my team will come in. You know, I'm booked every minute, but they'll see I ended a minute, three minutes early. And they're literally running my office and they're like, everyone's pouring marbles into a phone or something. And I'm like, okay, let's pour blueberries into it because that's native to me. I talk about loving blueberries. Like just what's going on in TikTok? Can I make something original with my camera right to my face and do something versus what's happening if you go on there right now, which is they'll take a clip from Trash Talk, which is a YouTube show I do when I go garage sailing and they'll post on it and do right by the production value of what works on TikTok, overlay stickers, words, and let it kind of pop. So what is it about TikTok that a lot of people need to wrap their mind around? Because it is quite different, you know, for... It's young and fun, which is what they've been confused about with YouTube in 2006 when I was on it, Snapchat, and uh, 
and really at some level, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for that matter. It's young and fun. And uh, if you're not young and fun, you're confused by it. And, if, and what I mean by that is I'm young and fun. I'm 44. I'm young in my mind. Right. And then, uh, and then it matures. And so it's youthful energy. It's happy, which is why I think it's doing well right now. I think a lot of other social networks can get heavy and daunting. So it's young and happy. It will evolve. I mean, you know this. My Twitter was Nirvana and a Hippieville in 2006. Right. I mean, 2006 and 2009, Twitter was Hippieville USA. Everything was good. Everything was nice. Everything was amazing. And then it gets more complicated over time. And TikTok will as well. I mean, Instagram was super artistic early on. Filters and moon, and moon shots and sunsets and walking on the beach and you know, things evolve. Every platform has. YouTube was pirated content and 35 knuckleheads that looked like me. Renetto, St. Frank, you know, Rocket Boom, Ignatian. You know, these things evolve. And so right now it's young and fun. What I care about is it dominates 15 to 30 attention. And that matters to me as an entrepreneur and a marketer. So can you have private, you cannot have private messages on the platform, right? I'm not actively on TikTok as you no, can tell. No, not right now. And is there hashtags? Yes. Is that how you're trending by, by getting into the hashtags or is it more an AI system that just knows what your videos are about? It's comments. It's, it's for you. Yeah. Like it's, it's hashtags, it's written words and that it's just the community has taken over and it's, uh, you so, know, the rich get richer on these platforms. So first leaders become, you know, people that people engage with and the algorithm seeing high engagement in the immediate first five minutes, one hour, collaborations help build exposure just like they have on every platform hashtags help like every platform jumping on trends and using the hashtag like every platform there are consistent strategies that help you break out now this is a more more difficult channel to market on because there's no links right in the bios or anything right so they just added links to the bio I believe oh really okay so you can actually yep. click on it okay cool yep Excellent. So is your strategy... And there, was, and there was always link out to your Instagram and YouTube, which was a way to like, you know, through chess, get to what you may want have happening. Got it. So was your, is your strategy to be on these platforms early? Is it a branding play for your personal brand? Is that the idea? And you want to get there when, with these young people because eventually they're going to grow up and they're going to get into business and entrepreneurship and all this stuff and want to follow you and all the other things you've got going on? Or is yes. it more... It, it is. Okay. And I am running one of the most successful digital marketing agencies in the world. And my clients that target youths are going to want a strategy. And by me being an actual practitioner and the CEO, Vayner has leapfrogged so many because I'm competing with agency CEOs who are actually CFOs, who are actually just suits that work for big companies holding companies and I'm the I'm a top practitioner and an operator and that has been a monumental advantage Ah, uh, I get it now because you're out there you're doing it you can talk about it you can explain for your clients which ones it's right for and which ones it's not for and it can allow you to close those deals am I hearing you right yes and don't forget for the 12 years prior to I entered your world I actually built a real business so I'm also a businessman I actually have good ideas my ideas actually sell product. So which kinds of businesses would be best for TikTok? Since obviously you've got a lot of clients that you're probably working with. For everyone who's listening, point, yeah, who is it for? At this point, any B2C business should be on TikTok because it's getting to 30 and 40 pretty quickly. 
Okay. Now, if you sell, you know, dental product to 90 year olds, I'd still say Facebook's your energy, but I'll be honest with you. If you sell 67, if you sell something to 67 year olds, uh, a medicine or a V8, let's talk about V8. If V8 is targeting 60 year olds, which I don't know if they are or they aren't, but if they were, I would argue some TikTok creative around a granddaughter making a grandfather aware of V8 is not a crazy idea because it might be cute and heartwarming and might go. Mm. So you put two to 3% of your energy to learn because eventually if it becomes Instagram, you're going to want to be there anyway while you spend 70% of your energy on other things. So, you know, or 98 in my scenario. So I just don't understand how people don't realize testing the waters just for context. I got one for you, Mike. This is a good one for this audience. Mike, do you know what social cam? It was hot for like four minutes. Uh, no. So there was an app called Social Cam that really got hot by riding the wave of the Facebook algorithm and like amassed like a million followers, uh, users in like two minutes. And it was really hot for like three minutes. And I mean three minutes. Vine and Snapchat's runs seemed like 50 year runs compared to Social Cam. It was like nine to 25 weeks, okay. but it was hot. All right. I learned a lot between that and an app. You might remember this one. Do you remember Daily Booth? It kind of rings a bell. Tell me more. And, and by the way, it's okay if you don't. That was kind of like a selfie app that wasn't mobile, but it was a precursor to Instagram. It had some really good social dynamics to it. It was called Daily Booth. Anyway, what I learned by being a first user on Daily Booth and Social Cam actually became the reason I was good at Vine, understood it was going to be big, and then Snap, and then ultimately IGTV, IG, and then ultimately TikTok. So... I put in the reps that taught me on those platforms. They didn't go on to become Facebook or Twitter, but I learned nuances of consumer behavior and content creation that then I imposed on Vine, Snap, Instagram, and TikTok, which has benefited me greatly. So that's awesome. I love this. Um, I want to ask a question about the TikTok, the shelf life of a, whatever they call it, a post. You know, on Instagram, you know, it's 24 hours or less. How about TikTok? Does it last for a lot longer? Truth is, I haven't even, you know, I don't know, you know, it's really fun. After I just went on a three-minute rant that was super smart and super deep, and I, I appreciate your response to that. I think a lot of people are like, oh, wait a minute. There was some smarts in what just Gary said for the last five okay, minutes. Okay, hold on a second. I'm going to, okay, I'm going to go back to that. I'm going to take your brain back to that because I really want to. What I love about what you just said a few minutes ago is something that I've been talking about for years. If you can figure out how to create content in video form or in audio form or in written form. And I've been doing a lot less than you have, but I've been doing the audio thing for a really, really long time. You can find your voice and you can be ready to create new content on other platforms, which is the key Correct. take home that you're saying. It's because you, because there was no video on Twitter in the beginning. It was all the written word. Correct. You got Correct. the written word down. Now you got the video down. Now you're ready for any video platform. That's really what you're Correct. saying, right? That's right. And then if you're very, what I think I've been very good at is understanding context. So you understand how the video works on Twitter versus a video on LinkedIn versus TikTok because you respect the consumption behavior and the platform and the psychology of the person consuming it. Now you're in outer space. Now you can have the kind of career I've had and you've had. So just out of curiosity, who should we follow on TikTok if we want to kind of just like take some cues from people that are doing it right? Anybody come to the top of your mind? It's less about Charlie D'Amelio or Addison Ray or other people. It's more about go on there, download the app, and spend eight hours consuming your feed because they're going to populate it, explore, and just look, just consume. 
like I spend hundreds and thousands of hours consuming comments and behaviors and trends. I'm not looking to see what a person does because I'll do that for me over time. I'm just consuming the macro of behavior, which then leads to really good insights. And if you're capable of synthesizing those insights. And so that would be my starting point more than a person because a person's going to limit you. Right. You know, look at all of it. Back to your answer. A TikTok post, I feel intuitively lasts 24 hours in the way that you asked the question. Yeah. I'm sure it has a lot to do with how often you post. I haven't looked deep enough to know if I post every four hours, how does that hurt the post prior, which has been historically something we always have had to think about. But I think it's in the same general range. Well, my gut tells but me because it's, because it's AI and because you don't really know when the thing was posted when you watch it, right? It doesn't have a timestamp, does it? So right. it could have been posted a week or two weeks ago, right? Because it's- I mean, I mean, that happens all, listen, sometimes somebody takes a post that I put on Instagram and puts it into their story and takes it away, right? Like, you know, like it happens. Like you could get populated at any point. I'm going to look at my TikTok right now. Do they actually have analytics and they tell you like any kind of like data on the older TikToks or do they not really give you a lot of analytics? Not yet. I mean, but my current post right now, it's funny, like I'm looking at it, like my latest post went viral because Charlie D'Amelio's in it. It shows me, it was an hour ago, four hours ago. Like an hour ago, I posted something it has a 1.1 million views and 221,000 likes and 857 comments. So like, wow. you know, the virality there is very real. You know, that's off a 3.1 base. Post before it has 259. Post before it has 62,000 views, which excites me. I think platforms should be remarkably more all over the place. I don't think content should be in a pocket. I think I should be able to post something on these platforms and get 88 views and another one get 2.9 million because that's really speaking to the truth of the value of the audience. What's your thoughts about Instagram hiding these numbers? Do you think that's going to be, you love it? Should TikTok do it, it too? People, I mean, talk to us a little bit maybe, about this. Yeah, I think people are insecure. And I think when you hide metrics, it helps people because they're all pandering to the metrics. And I've not only been a proponent of hiding likes, I actually recently started talking about hiding followers. Hmm. And people are like, a lot of my friends are like, whoa, 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 that's going to hurt you. I'm like, it's not going to hurt me. I don't derive my clout or influence or success and definitely not my happiness from how many followers I have. And, and more importantly, I know it's hurting others. And so I'm willing to sacrifice <laughs> for the greater good of the world. It's laughable that one would derive their self-esteem from these metrics. And I think the platforms are noticing that. And I, I would argue you may see a day and age when the most popular platform at the time actually is not showing us how many followers one has. I want to uh, shift over to influencer marketing since we're talking about followers. What's your take on influencer marketing? Is it stay come and it. gone or is it still, because oh, no, doesn't it get a little harder if you don't know what kind of influence people have? Oh, you would know. If we eliminate how many followers one has, you know, Dove Candy Chocolate would still be able to see if DRock has followers. Analytics on the back end, they'll show you forever. Got it. This is more about front facing, you know? So I love influencer marketing. I think most humans don't know how to price themselves which means a high percentage of them are wildly overpriced. It also means a high percentage of them are wildly underpriced for the attention and cosign they're giving a brand or a business in return. And, I could, and word of mouth and influenced word of mouth has been around forever. John Wayne got paid by cigarette companies to smoke a cigarette. In 500 years, some robot will be paid to talk about the oil the robot uses for their joints. This is never going away. It's in perpetuity. And now there's way more people that have way more influence. It's a much longer tail. This is not just for the celebrities and athletes of the world. 
and we haven't even started influencer marketing. Excellent. All right. Well, and I agree with you. I think we've always looked up to certain people that are influential, right? That's right. right. And That's right. It, it was before social, it'll be after social. It's That's right. It's because the human brain wants to it's be human. able to trust somebody, right? That's right. That's right. So let's talk about LinkedIn because I know you've been real big on LinkedIn. Yes. And a lot of people might be like, LinkedIn, isn't that that stodgy network that you post job stuff on? I mean, like, what's your thoughts on LinkedIn? Let's talk about that a little bit. LinkedIn became a content platform like Facebook. And it started several years ago, maybe a half decade, maybe longer ago. And then it uh, evolved. So five years ago, it was really business content. All of us were really going business on it. The original influencers, I was one of them. Then they opened it up to people, they could post, and everybody went very, very, very business. And then about 24 months ago, I started realizing, wait a minute, because I'm always watching. Why are people posting about their families? Yeah. And working out and wine. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. And then I'm like, wait a minute. If you have no followers and you post on there, you're getting 800 views and 400 views and 50,000 views or reads and 100 comments. Wait a minute. Is LinkedIn's organic reach remarkable for somebody who has no audience? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because they're sending it to connections and things of that nature. Oh, my God. I have to tell everybody to start using LinkedIn because it's actually Facebook 2012. And that's how we got there. Yeah, I kind of feel that way, too. I mean, like from my perspective, it was very male dominated and I see a lot more women on there now. And I also see a lot more people posting the kinds of things on LinkedIn that they used to post on Facebook. Right. Mm -hmm. And it seems that it's a different tribe, though. It's not exactly the same people that are over on Facebook. Is that your take or what's your thoughts on that? I think there's a lot of people that are on Facebook. I just think that they're acting in a different way. In Facebook, they're acting like we're all at a community center or somebody's house or, you know, the PTA meeting or debating about politics. And I think on LinkedIn, it does have a little bit more of a professional swing. And so maybe some of that anger or hate or silliness that you might see on Facebook, people are scared that their boss may see that on LinkedIn, but they still kind of want to talk like a human. And so I think you're seeing a little bit more of caution which leads to less fun and less anger. And that's with a pocket. But I do think there's an overlap of humans that are on both platforms. Do you think because Microsoft purchased them that something has changed as a result of that? Or do you think it's just been It was like- happening already. Okay. I, it was happening before the Microsoft purchase. But I also think, to your point, I think, listen, I'm pretty bullish on what Microsoft as a company has been doing for the last three, four years. And uh, LinkedIn at the, at the forefront of that. And so, no, I just think that that was kind of happening before then and I think Microsoft has done a good job of leaving them alone, from at least from what I can tell and what I know. What's your thoughts on page versus personal profile on LinkedIn? Do you recommend both? Yes, Especially- I think both can play. I think that's a, a preference thing. Yeah, I think both can play. I think it's about the content. What's your thoughts on video on LinkedIn? From my perspective, Love. Love. they don't have a lot of great metrics, which bothers me a little bit because you don't really know what a view is, right? I mean, do you have any sense? Yeah. Of, do you have any sense of what a view really is on LinkedIn? Or no, and I don't have. A, and honestly, the views on the other platforms, like I'm not getting super overly excited about a three second, you know, calibration. Right. What I do know is I'm a very common sense marketer, and when I go to the Delta shuttle from New York to Chicago, 18 months ago, and 14 people in suits come up to me and say, "Big fan," or 53 years old and 41 years old and 29 years old and 67 years old and say, big fan, love you on LinkedIn. I know people are watching. Is that the platform right now that you seem to be getting the most response from out of all? Because you're obviously pretty much everywhere. No, Instagram. Instagram is a monster for me. What about Twitter? Because Twitter was like your original thing, right? Like where, yeah. where are you with Twitter right now? 
I'm in a really good place with Twitter right now, actually. I'm doing quite well on Twitter as well. And I think it actually got a big beef up 36 months ago when a lot of my Instagram audience started looking for me on Twitter. Huh. I was in a dull spot for audience response in Twitter maybe four years ago. And I definitely feel an uptick on Twitter and I engage on Twitter and 212-931-5731, that's, a, that's the plug. I, I definitely engage the most on text and, and Twitter. So I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, excuse me, not LinkedIn, on Instagram comments as well. And I'm trying to be more thoughtful about LinkedIn and YouTube comments. It's been a challenge for me, just in sheer bandwidth and cadence. How do you manage it all? I mean, like, I know you use your phone. You got all these apps. You just kind of systematically scroll through them. Is that the idea? You know, you just jumped in at the right point where I was just saying was, you know, and then tomorrow I may get on a hot streak with YouTube comments. And then that might be the moment where that becomes the priority. And I might go hard for 29 months or four years. It's really funny how a human gets caught up and comfortable with it comes down to UI of the app. You know, I'm more active on YouTube now than I was two years ago because the app's better. Yeah. You know, so just kind of riff. But I'm in now, you know, 14 years of comfort on Twitter engagement. I mean, that's crazy. I've probably responded to a tweet 96% of the days of my life over the last 13 straight years. Let's talk about YouTube since you mentioned it. It's the platform people think of the least when they think of social. What's been your experience with YouTube these days? What's funny, I think to your point, it's the platform people think the least when they talk about social, but for YouTube content creators, which were a different breed than we kind of came up in, though I was one of those people, that's the only platform they think of. Again, I'm looking at DRock, who's famously been with me for a long time here on video content. He comes from worlds where all the other social doesn't mean anything. It was YouTube. Even today, those content creators struggled to produce for IGTV or cut down for Twitter. Uh, but to your point, pure social people, because it was really a content play. I'm obsessed with YouTube. I think it's one of the most important platforms in the world. Are you also doing stories form? Is your team doing stories on YouTube as well? I, I have poorly executed on YouTube stories, much to the chagrin of my team. And so it's something we're playing with in conversation. It hasn't clicked yet. Similar to Spotify stories. It's been really working for me, but I hasn't clicked for my behavior, which to your point, I either wake up in four months and say, team, you now are in charge of YouTube stories put out five like you do on Instagram because they're in charge of that. When I jump in as well, YouTube stories, is, Instagram stories is fun for me. I'll put out my seven or eight because I'm too, as a matter of fact, watch this, Michael. D-Rock, put it in. Team's in charge of YouTube stories five to seven a day. <laughs> like, I, this is actually real, Michael. This is very bad. I was talking to Evan Carmichael about this. I don't know if you know who Evan is. And he was saying, yeah, he was saying, yeah, Gary hasn't yet gotten all over the, the story stuff, but he should. He's right. So He's right. He's right. And I've addressed it right now, literally starting tomorrow. I will have seven stories a day. And then the pressure that it's just the team will probably force me to put one or two native. I'm probably going to make, I'm looking at D-Rock again to keep me honest here. As soon as I hang up with you here, I'm going to make one. And he's, and Evan's right. And the same thing on my Spotify. Yeah. You got a full week on that, on those, by the way, which is really awesome. Now, Spotify, you talked about what the heck is a Spotify story? This is new to me. I mean, I'm on Spotify, yeah, Spot- but I don't I don't Spotify even know what that is. For certain accounts is about to is created a stories product. I, I've done like one or two, so even myself, I'm a little bit blurry with it. It's really cool. They created a stories functionality for Spotify accounts, and I think it's gonna be huge. And um uh art, I mean think about following artists on that platform. Is it audio only? It's about playlists only. D Rock just did a good job creating uh clarity for me. I think I kind of intuitively believe it will go to accounts. Uh. And so 
I have a playlist that's quite successful called Monday to Monday. If you're listening right now and you want to find up and coming hip hop and Latin trap and really emerging young SoundCloud like artists, I'm doing that on a Monday to Monday playlist with my man Mike Boyd. And so uh, we've been given access to that. Okay, audio content, podcasting. No, no, it, yeah, it, yes, but it's playlist. It's a music playlist. No, no, no I changed. I changed the subject yeah. on you. Oh, I apologize. Yeah, podcasting. Uh, you know, I, audio. I'm, uh, I'm obsessed. <laughs> I've been doing really well with it for the last four years. I have a top 100 podcast on the Apple charts, and my Spotify numbers are monstrous. I'm across every platform, and I put out a podcast every day of the week. I think we had mentioned we were, when we were talking a couple of weeks ago, getting ready for this, that Spotify was going to be rolling out some pre-roll ads. Oh, yes. Talk to me about We're that a little bit. What, what kind of opportunities are going to present themselves, you think, on that? What's happening there is Spotify is about to launch a pre-roll product where you can write a script, like a radio commercial, put it into the platform, and podcast hosts can grab it and read it and get paid. I think it's going to be monstrous. Oh, really, really fascinating. Awesome. All right. Well, Gary... Yes, sir. I've taken up a lot of your time and I really appreciate I, just, I adore you and I, your audience. I mean this. I apologize, Michael. I know it was interrupted. Like everyone who's listening to this, I know who you are. Like we grew up together in this game or you're seeing the world the same way we do. I'm honored to be on the podcast, Mike, and I really appreciate it. Well, I really appreciate you sharing all your awesome wisdom and insights. Say hello to D-Rock. Um, if people want to reach you or what's, you know, on the platforms, you have a common name across them all. Is it just Gary V or what is it? It is Gary VE, and then obviously this new testing ground of two one two nine three one five seven three one has been super intimate and working, and and Twitter's wildly effective. Like anybody who tweets it has got a real good shot of me seeing that. Sweet. So I'm excited about that. We'll be sure to put the phone number uh, in the show notes in case anybody didn't capture it. Gary, enjoy your time. Thank really, you, really appreciate you. Have a great day. Okay. Take care, man. Hey, I hope you found a lot of value in today's interview. If Gary mentioned anything and you didn't catch it, like that phone number, you can get it at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 400 for the show notes. And yes, it's episode 400. I can't believe it. If you're new to this show, hit that subscribe button and do me a favor. If you've been a regular listener to the show, would you let your friends know about this podcast? I would love more people to find out about this show. All right. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I promise. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.